This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, it's the earliest story of the Frog Prince, and then one of a frog princess. You'll see why you shouldn't let your children play in the dark forest. They might just bring home a slimy new best friend. And we'll see a medieval dating service that takes Cupid's methods fairly literally and consists of shooting arrows indiscriminately at potential matches. Then, on the Creature of the Week, it's a cat from the Peruvian Highlands that enjoys dance walking up rainbows and shooting lightning out of its eyes. This is the Myths and Legends Podcast, Episode 64, Warts and All. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. The frog story is so well known that I completely wrote it off, even before looking into it. I mean, a princess meets a frog, kisses him, and he turns into a handsome prince, and they live happily ever after. Except, and I'm surprised I was surprised by this, that's not the original story. The original, though brief, is hilariously bizarre. I loved it, and something really unexpected happens. Then, we're going to talk about a story I've received a lot of requests for, The Frog Princess, from the same collections as the stories of Baba Yaga, Ivan and the Wolf, Vasilisa the Beautiful, and The Fool and His Flying Ship, comes the story of a frog that was made princess. And not only is it a fun story, but we get to meet some of our old, old friends from Slavic folklore. Anyway, the first story, that of the Frog Prince, was originally collected by the Grimm brothers in the 1800s. There's Rich, and then there's your kid plays with gold toys worth more than my house, Rich. The king was, not surprisingly, the second type of Rich. And the princess took one of the golden balls to play out in the great dark forest. Despite a young girl casually tossing a ball of immeasurably high worth by herself in the dark forest, being the target of literally every evil creature we've ever talked about on this podcast, the princess made it safely to the abandoned well beneath the lime tree. Whistling and sitting on the edge of the well, she tossed the golden ball up in the air, completely oblivious to the dangers and hairy tickle fights that lurked in the surrounding forest. She tossed the ball high into the air, lost in thought, not noticing that it failed to return to her with the rhythmic familiarity of the past hour until it plopped into the water right in front of her. Though the king was gold toys rich, the princess despaired and began to wail. This was her fourth favorite golden ball. She watched the glint fade and fade until it disappeared into the darkness. Despite playing with fire by being alone in the dark forest, she did have the sense to not dive into the murky well. And so she sat there and cried loudly for a while. Oh, hey, she heard. What's wrong? The princess gasped, wiped her tears from her eyes, and scanned the tree line. A stranger here in the forest. Oh, yeah, no, sorry, I'm down here, she heard, and peered down into the well. There, in the darkness, sat a squat, stubby, bumpy head. It was a frog. I get that a lot. Or I would, if anyone ever came to sit by this well. Seriously, this is a German fairy tale forest. It's super dangerous. Anyway, your crying is so loud that even the stones would feel bad for you. Also, I live here and I'm trying to sleep. What's wrong? She told him all about the gold ball that had dropped into the really slimy, disgusting well. Oh yeah, well, that's my home. 
but I can just swim down and get it for you. No big deal. It'll cost you, though. What will you give me to make it worth my while? Princess thought. Then, she said she would give him her clothes, pearls, jewels, even the crown she was wearing, if he brought that one golden ball back. Wow, the frog said. I mean, no offense, but you're really bad at negotiating. All those things are worth way more than just some golden ball. Look, how about this? How about I get your ball back, and we just hang out, become best friends. We'll eat together, I can sleep on your pillow, and drink out of your cup and all that. You know, all sorts of cool best friend stuff. I mean, you said it. My house is a slimy, disgusting well. The princess stared at the bumpy, revolting frog and asked, Are you sure you just don't want all my worldly riches? The frog shook his greenish little head. No, he did not. Ugh, all right, it's a deal, the princess said. Go get the gold ball. With a nod, the frog dove into the cloudy water. In under a minute, he resurfaced. The heavy golden ball clutched between his frog hands. It would have been cute had it not been covered in the slime and algae from the bottom of the well. Relieved, the princess wiped her treasure on the grass, said, thanks, and took off running back toward the castle. Oh, hey, called the frog as he watched her disappear around some trees. That's cool. I'll, I'll just meet you there, wherever there is. Sweetie, why is there a talking frog at the door, claiming that you told him he could live here? The king asked his daughter a couple days later. Ah, uh, well, it might be because I maybe told a talking frog he could live here. But he's a frog, Dad. I mean, come on, he can't live here. That's ridiculous. No, you know what? No, honey, we've talked about this, and yeah, I think this is a teachable moment, the king said. You need to follow through if you say you're going to do something. You need to keep your promises. Come on, Dad. To a talking animal? Especially to a talking animal, the king said. This is fairy tale medieval Europe. Literally anything could be a witch. The princess rolled her eyes. This was ridiculous. But if her father wanted her to do it, she didn't have a lot of options. Whatever. Yes, she told her father. He'd probably just forget about the frog in a few days anyway. The frog sat at the door, smiling if frogs could smile when the princess arrived. Hey, it was really hard to get out of that well without fingers and thumbs, and I tried a lot of doors before coming to yours. People generally aren't thrilled to see a talking frog at their door, but never mind. Here I am. Are we going to hang out? The princess sighed and glanced at her father, who gave her a serious, yes, you're doing this, look. And the princess said, yeah, yeah, come inside. Great, said the frog, hopping past her. I brought everything I own wrapped in a lily pad sack. Ha, just kidding, I'm a frog. I don't have anything. Oh, hey, is that lunch? The king loved the frog as the three sat at lunch. The princess might have liked the frog, who sat by her plate, chatting jovially, if he hadn't been eating off of her plate, per the ideal, and sliming everything he touched. The princess pushed aside the plate in exasperation and stormed out of the room. The frog watched her go and shrugged. <laughs> he didn't know what her problem was, but said aloud, More for me and the king laughed. After the king had to go do king stuff, the frog hopped down the hall until he found the princess in her room. She was bathing, so he didn't bug her. He just went through all of her stuff, leaving nasty little frog prints and everything. Then, 
After the princess was done, they started their day. And I wish I could cut to a montage where the princess and the frog rode horses, sewed, ate, read books, and did other things, all with the princess looking completely exasperated and the frog smearing his frog mucus on everything. I tried out both pillows and I like this one, the frog announced at bedtime. There's slime all over mine, shouted the princess. Oh yeah, sorry about that. We frogs are naturally moist animals and just FYI, it's not really slime. We're cool, but frogs don't like it when you call it slime. We actually secrete a layer of mucus to breathe. Oh, that's so much better, the princess said. Just stay on your side, okay? No problem. Good night, new best friend. Don't call me that, the princess said. Ah, but I'll win you over. You'll see, the frog replied as he stretched out comfortably on his new pillow. No, you won't. I hate you, the princess said without opening her eyes. Our first fight, the frog said. This is so us. Oh, probably not a good time to bring this up, but I'm a frog and, well, we get up at night to croak incessantly. I'm usually nocturnal, so I'm working on getting that turned around so we can hang out all the time. But yeah, I'm going to be croaking. I don't know, like every 45 minutes-ish? I'll try to keep it down. Oh, here it comes. It was not pleasant. And the princess wrapped her pillow around her head until it finished though she kept hearing the frog shifting, rubbing his frog mucus on her pillow, trying to get comfortable, and hogging a surprising amount of covers, she finally fell asleep. For about 45 minutes, she woke to the frog sitting on his pillow, again croaking very loudly, half asleep, half consumed with blind rage. She didn't think about what happened next until after she had done it, and then she was pretty happy about it. She seized the frog, squeezed his slimy, warty little frog body and flung him as hard as she could across the room, his body splatting against the wall in the dark. Finally, there was silence. She wiped her hand on her covers and threw his pillow off the bed, laying down to a blissful sleep at last. She had killed the frog and would no doubt be punished, likely forced to scrape his splattered frog bits from the masonry, but it was worth it. The obnoxious frog was gone. Uh, hey? She heard from across the room. Her eyes snapped open. No, no, it was impossible. The frog could not have survived that. Sitting upright, she saw that the frog had not survived the throw. There, on the other side of the room, was not the nice but obnoxious frog, but rather a human prince. What was going on? As it turned out, the prince didn't know either. And yeah, the classic story of the princess kissing the frog and the frog turning into a handsome prince in the earliest versions... The princess was so fed up with her new compulsory best friend that she threw the creature against the wall in an attempt to kill him. And that's what led to him turning back into the handsome prince. He had been cursed by a witch. The grim version doesn't go into why, though when do fairy tale witches ever need a reason to curse someone? It was just an evil witch doing your standard issue evil witch cursing. After both the prince and the princess convinced the king that the prince had been the frog and not some guy that just snuck into his daughter's room, the king let the prince stay in the castle. Let's pretend the princess had any say in the matter, and over the following weeks they fell in love and decided to marry, though the story just says that the father agreed that they should be married. The prince sent a message to his old kingdom that he was alive and not an amphibian, and they sent his most loyal servant, Iron Henry, to pick him up. The prince was surprised by the name Iron Henry. When he had a run-in with a witch, the man was just known as Henry. The prince hugged his servant, 
who was weeping with tears of joy, and asked him why he was now named Iron Henry, maybe having his fingers crossed that he had been taken captive and had built a medieval Iron Man suit in a cave. The answer was not as cool, but just as unlikely. When the prince transformed into a frog and hopped off to live in a well in the dark forest, Henry had taken ill, and the, let's say doctor, diagnosed him with a broken heart. Acting quickly to save Henry's life, the doctor had a blacksmith fashion iron bands, and in likely the very first open heart surgery in non-recorded history, the doctor wrapped Henry's heart in iron bands to keep it from breaking. With it in place, Henry would be, at times, intolerably sad, but his heart would not break, and he would survive until the day his prince returned. That day was today. And not only had his prince been saved, but he had met someone. And the kingdom would not only have a returned king, but also a queen. As Iron Henry and the couple rode away, they heard something metal strain and break. The prince told Iron Henry to pull over. Something had broken on the carriage. Iron Henry just laughed. No, sire, the carriage is fine, he said. Those were the bands on his heart breaking. His heart swelled with joy, and quite possibly a serious cardiac condition, and had broken the bands. He no longer needed them. His prince was back, and he would be eternally happy. Oh, okay, the prince said. Hey, Henry, you should probably see a doctor. It's not remotely normal to have your heart increase in size all Grinch style like that, and it's probably fairly hazardous to have shattered iron bands just knocking around your body. And with that, they continued on their way. Kissing of the Frog works its way into the story later, but this is the original. The message, apparently, was that love comes from passion, like attempted murder. The main lesson of the story, according to the Grimm brothers, was to honor your promises and good things will come. I'm not sure if the prince knew the way to break the curse, or if he was just enjoying his life as a frog in the city. That him being who he was led to him being thrown against a wall and subsequently saved from the curse. It's not like there's a lot of consistency or rules when it comes to fairy tale magic, and that's not a criticism at all. I love the arcane, mysterious magic, but when it comes to folklore, it's not even like that. Quote unquote, because a witch said so, is often enough to justify any sort of plot twist. Anyway, the Frog Prince story is, in general, one of the most famous versions of the story. People with knowledge of folklore, though, know that there's also a story of a frog princess from Russian folklore. And even more exciting is that we're going to meet some of our old friends. That will be right after this. All right, now back to the show. Prince Ivan held his bow and arrow. This was weird. It was time that he and his two brothers chose wives. But... This was more like the wives were choosing them. The guys would each fire an arrow, and whoever brought that arrow back would be their wife. Also, if you're wondering if this is the same Prince Ivan that we've seen before, it's not. I should say, though, that the explanation I mentioned way back in that episode with Ivan and the Wolf was kind of wrong. Since then, I've dug into Slavic folklore and learned that Ivan was just kind of a stock fairy tale character name, like Hans in German or John in English. So, Prince Ivan is of no relation to any other Prince Ivan. I know I've talked about this in a member episode, but I can't remember if I've mentioned it in the main feed yet. Anyway, 
The king stood behind his sons, proud that this day was finally here. He told them to just stand on the wall, point the arrow at the sky, and fire. Wait a second, Ivan said. We're standing at the top of our castle, surrounded by a town. On a good day, a medieval arrow can travel, what, two to three hundred yards? We're surrounded by houses. We're basically firing arrows into a crowd to pick a wife. What if it comes back stuck in someone? Oh my gosh, Prince Buzzkill, one of Ivan's older brothers said. Why do you have to question the old ways? Firing arrows into crowds of people to find spouses has worked for our family for generations. Yeah, I know it's a tradition, but what if we, I don't know, got to know people, fell in love, and married based on affection, friendship, and mutual attraction, instead of firing weapons at peasants? The three stood there in silence for a half second, before bursting out laughing. Oh, Ivan. The king patted his sons on their backs and said it was time. Just say, it's great to be the rulers, and fire the arrows into town. Brother one did, brother two did, and reluctantly, Prince Ivan did. I'm assuming the arrows were labeled or something, because less than an hour later, a beautiful daughter of a noble brought one brother's arrow back. He asked for her hand, and she accepted. They were going to be married. It was a few hours after that, but Brother Two's arrow returned, carried by the daughter of a general. The king was happy. He couldn't have picked better if he tried. Hours and hours passed after that, and the sun was beginning to set. Prince Ivan was questioning his father about the rules of the whole arrow thing. What if no one returned? The arrow was still out there. What if he married someone, and then someone else brought back the arrow, years later? What if someone other than a well-to-do maiden brought it back? Like, I don't know, Ivan started. A frog? The king said, well, uh, that's a really specific and odd example, Ivan said, but sure. Let's say a frog brought it back. What would, no, his father stopped him. A frog, a frog brought your arrow back. Look, there in the orange glow of twilight, approached a frog, hopping up the road, holding an arrow in its mouth. We're told that it's a female frog, though I've read that determining such a thing in dim twilight would be pretty difficult. Anyway. The frog hopped up to Ivan and spat the arrow at his foot. I, I have no idea. This has never happened before, the king said in shock. Wait, did this frog just wink at me? Ivan said. Son, I'm, I'm sorry to do this, the king said. But the old ways are the old ways. You have to marry this frog. It was a tasteful wedding, with the two older brothers marrying the beautiful and human daughters of the noble and general, respectively. Maybe out of a joke, maybe out of respect, I'm not sure, but someone made a nice little veil for the frog, and the king had a servant hold her on a plate next to Ivan at the wedding. The ceremony complete, all the princes were commanded to kiss their brides, and Ivan really hoped that it was that type of story. It was not, and he kissed the frog. I'm not sure what the married life for a prince and frog looked like, but life went on for the three couples, who all lived in the castle together. Sidebar, some stories have it where the frog talks to him. In the majority, she's just a frog, and the prince is forced to marry her, no questions asked. So she doesn't talk, she just sits there. Anyway, the king, wanting to get to know his new daughters-in-law, gave them a task. They all had to make him a gift. Okay, dad, Ivan said. Seriously, the... 
this is a joke, right? I mean, you make me marry a frog, and now you're making her compete with humans for your affections? Son, I look forward to seeing what your wife makes, replied the king. He turned to his frog daughter-in-law and nodded at her. Always a pleasure, dear, the frog croaked. After the king left, Ivan looked down at his wife and groaned. He had stopped talking to the frog weeks ago. He left the door open in hopes that she would just hop away and get eaten by something, just so he could be out of this surreal, ridiculous nightmare. But she just hung around the house. Now she needed to give a gift to the king? This whole thing was just dumb. The next morning, Ivan rolled over in his bed, but there was something next to him. His hand hit a beautiful, ornate shirt, and just the king's size. Sleep still in his eyes, Ivan barely understood what was going on. He sat up and saw the frog sitting at the foot of his bed. What? Where did this come from? Did you make this? He asked. But the frog did what frogs do best, and sat there silently. When he stood beside his brothers, his gift from his frog wife was actually the best of them all. The king was surprised too. At first he asked Ivan if Ivan had made the gift. Ivan said, I would say, that's ridiculous, but I married a frog, so nothing's really off the table anymore, is it? But no, dad, I didn't make it or buy it. I woke up and it was next to me with my wife sitting at the foot of my bed. She doesn't sleep a lot at night. She just watches me sleep. Thanks for that. The king held the shirt up and, wow, this was the nicest shirt he'd ever seen. He was planning on having this gift thing be kind of a one and done sort of thing, but seeing a shirt this nice, he decided to keep it going. He demanded that the wives make him another gift. This time, a loaf of bread. Sidebar, is it still a gift if you demand it from someone? I feel like that's just sort of light theft, but who knows. Anyway, no surprise, Ivan woke up next to a piping hot loaf of bread the next day. He said goodbye to his wife, a little unnerved by how easy it was getting to call a frog honey, and went to the king. And the king did not care that the loaf was likely kneaded by mucus-covered frog hands, because it was the best. Once again, the king berated the elder brother's wife's terrible gifts, which they had less than a day to make. Then, the king sat on his throne and tried to think of a third challenge. Dance off, the eldest brother suggested. Oh yeah, said the king, that would be cool. Maybe we can get the frog to dance. Regardless, it would just be fun to see how this goes down, right? Yes, dance off between the wives. I'm king, this is the law now, or something. Don't we have anything better to do in this kingdom than trying to get my frog wife to dance? Ivan complained. Apparently we do not, the king said. Now go inform her of tonight's ball and tell her I said hi. Uh, whatever, Ivan said, and went to pick out a frog-sized dress for his wife. That night, all eyes were on Ivan's wife. The previous two women had danced well enough, but now everyone awaited the performance by the frog princess. I can imagine that Ivan did not care what happened and was making use of the copious amounts of free wine after spending all day frog dress shopping with his wife. But she just sat there in whatever the closest approximation to a frog evening gown was while the crowd started to murmur. Then she opened her mouth. From the mouth came not a sound, but a foot. Then hands. Then another foot. The feet picked the frog body up off the ground and the hands lifted the frog away, an entire human being coming out of the tiny frog's mouth. A beautiful woman picked the frog's skin out of her hair and tucked it in her belt, to the astonishment of everyone at the ball. She stood there, radiant in her beautiful dress. Then, she started to dance. 
By the end of her dance, there wasn't a dry eye left in the banquet hall, and even the other two wives, who had been suspicious and a little bitter toward the frog, could only stand in stunned awe. Whoever this frog-skin-wearing woman was, she deserved every honor. Perhaps the audience member most surprised that this frog was actually a beautiful maiden was Ivan, who still hadn't picked his jaw up off the floor. She approached and said hi. She was his wife. Her name was Vasilisa. And before you wonder, no, it's not any of the Vasilisas we've seen on this podcast. It's another stock Slavic fairy tale name. Vasilisa said that they had a lot to talk about. Ivan asked if she was the frog. She said yes and no. She could put the frog skin on, it was bigger on the inside, and become the frog, but this was her true form. Ivan said, huh, yeah, let's talk, but first things first. He plucked the frog skin from a belt and tossed it in the nearest fireplace. He was finished being married to a frog. He liked this version of his wife much, much better. The reaction was different than what he had expected. She shrieked at him. What had he done? She was so close, and now he had ruined it. He ruined it all. She began backing up, looking at the windows, looking off into the night. If the skin was gone, she couldn't live out her curse. He would be here. He would come for her. She had to stay moving. She had to go. Ivan held her hand and said whatever was coming, he could protect her. But she wrenched free. She said he had done enough. She pushed past the confused attendants at the ball and escaped into the night. By the time Ivan reached the door, she was but a speck against the horizon, running as fast as she could toward the dark forest, running from him. Sitting alone in his chambers that night, Ivan was forlorn. On one hand, the frog was gone, and that had been everything he had wished for over the past few weeks. On the other hand, the frog was secretly a beautiful princess, and he had somehow screwed everything up. Maybe even doomed her, though she didn't stick around long enough to clarify. She had looked like she was in trouble, all because Ivan had burned the frog skin. Unable to sleep, he knew what he must do. He had to go find her, and see if he could help. Ivan had completed standard prince training stuff, like sword fighting, horseback riding, falconry, the works. But now hundreds of miles from home, the armor was hot and he was sore from riding, and he had only ever used his sword with a tutor and his bow to find a frog wife. Ivan was in over his head. Questing was too hot in the daytime and too cold at night. He hated sleeping on the ground, and he burned through most of his provisions within the first few weeks. Now he was rationing what little he had left, and he was constantly hungry not to mention stressed by the all-pervasive anxiety that everything out here seemed like it was trying to kill him. All in all, epic quests were pretty terrible, and Ivan just wanted to go home. Then, he met a wizard. In a move I wouldn't recommend, Ivan dismounted his horse and approached the hairy old wanderer in the middle of the road. It was the only person he had seen for days, so he had to stop and see if the man knew anything of Vasilisa. The wizard narrowed his eyes. Yes. He knew about Vasilisa. Jerk. Oh, great, wait, what? The wizard said, yeah, we all know about it in these lands. Why'd you burn the frog skin? She was so close to finishing out the curse. But now the story gets all weird and contradictory as to what happens next. Ivan stopped him. Yes, he had burned the skin. He regretted that. But this was the first he was hearing about a curse. Oh, yeah, well, 
When Vasilisa came of age, she was smarter than her dad, a powerful wizard. So he cursed her to live as a frog for three years, the wizard said. Wow, he cursed a woman just for being smarter than him? That's pretty heavy-handed even for folklore, Ivan said. Yeah, tell me about it, the wizard agreed. Anyway, from what I hear, she liked you quite a bit, before you cursed her curse or whatever is going on here. I'm going to help you out. Here's a magic ball. You drop this, and it will lead you to whatever you desire. So, if you want to find Vasilisa, it will show you the way to find her. Ivan held the ball in his hand. He could already feel it wanting to move down the road. He dropped it, and it took off. He thanked the old man, and rushed off after it. Okay, so while Ivan is following a ball to the woman he loves, we're going to step back and talk about the story. This is where things start to get confusing. Nearly every version of this story is different and I'll list all the differences on the website, but I'm just going to go with the most popular, simplest path, and that will lead us to retreading some things. If you listen to some of the previous, yet unrelated, Prince Ivan stories, there are times where, on his journeys, he'll meet some talking animals who beg him not to kill them. The Ivan of this story met a bear, a drake, which is either a dragon or a duck, I'm not sure, I'm going to go with dragon, and a hare. And even though he was painfully hungry, he did not kill them. Ivan followed the rolling ball for days and weeks, until it finally came to a stop, bumping into a tree trunk. Ivan wasn't really paying attention, so he walked through a gate that was made out of human bones and topped with glowing skulls. It also took a bit of time to realize that the ball wasn't trying to climb a tree, but a giant chicken leg. Prince Ivan had arrived at the house of Baba Yaga. If you haven't heard the previous episodes, Baba Yaga is a famous witch from the folklore of Russia and Eastern Europe. She lives in a hut on chicken legs, has iron teeth, flies around in a mortar and pestle, and sometimes eats people. She's a wonderfully weird and enigmatic figure, and I listened to her other episodes in the show notes. Anyway, Ivan arrived at the home of Baba Yaga, and seeing as entering the home of the infamous witch would get him one step closer to ending this exhausting quest, he left the ball hitting the talon and climbed up the rope ladder. Now, most of the time, Baba Yaga makes a grand and terrifying entrance in the forest, sweeping past the hero on her flying mortar. Today, however, was Baba Yaga's day off. She was relaxing on her warm oven, shirt off, and long, pendulous breasts flung over a hook on the ceiling. Feet up, she was relaxing and sharpening her iron teeth when Ivan stepped through her doorway. Both were surprised. Maybe Ivan knew what he was doing, or maybe he was just a prince and used to a certain degree of complete devotion on behalf of his subjects. He dropped his pack and said, Is this how you treat guests, old woman? I walk in and you don't offer me anything to eat or drink? Hmm. Baba Yaga took the file out of her mouth and set it down in the oven before cracking up laughing. She said, You. I like you. Most people cower in terror. This is a nice change. Ivan shook his head as Baba Yaga put a shirt on. See... I hear a lot of talking, Baba Yaga, but not a lot of good hospitality. Baba Yaga's laughing reduced to a chuckle. All right, buddy, don't push your luck. They sat across the table from one another, the famished Ivan eating and drinking as fast as he could, trying to play it cool in front of the dangerous witch and desperately hoping the meat he was eating was not a previous guest they got around to talking about Vasilisa, and Baba Yaga just looked at the ground in sadness. Yeah, Vasilisa used to live here for a time. Baba Yaga took a liking to the girl and taught her everything she needed to know. That father of hers found her, though, and turned her into a frog. Vasilisa hopped off 
and Baba Yaga hadn't seen her again until a few weeks ago. Vasilisa had come in terror. Some Ivan doofus had messed up the whole thing. And now, Vasilisa was terrified not just of her father, but of some new boogeyman that haunted the forests. Baba Yaga had been hearing more and more about this guy named Koshe the Deathless, who had returned from some great war and was now kidnapping young women. Ivan stopped eating. Questing was bad enough, but now he had to go even farther to face down some deathless sorcerer. This had stopped being fun a long time ago. Now it was just getting tedious. He didn't realize he had zoned out. And now Baba Yaga was sitting across the table from him with a stern, serious face. She began talking and her iron teeth glinted in the light of the fire. She said that she wasn't charmed by his bluster when he walked in. She knew that he was Ivan, the Ivan that had messed things up for Vasilisa. Thing is, Baba Yaga said she liked Vasilisa, and she happened to know that Vasilisa liked Ivan. Baba Yaga did not like many people, certainly not spoiled little princes that complained about traveling a few leagues farther to fix a problem that they started. Ivan was lucky though, because Baba Yaga knew a way to defeat the so-called Deathless One. He was only Deathless because he had hidden his soul in a needle, in an egg, in a duck, inside a hair, inside a chest on top of a tree. A tree that Koshe watched over when he wasn't making young women uncomfortable over dinner. The tree was on a hill next to the little mud hut that Koshe lived in. Destroy a soul, do you kill him? The witch gave Ivan directions to Koshe's hut, then climbed back atop her stove and pulled out her file. She said Ivan should get going. There's no telling what Koshe is doing to Vasilisa. Baba Yaga said that she would be here, sharpening her teeth, ready to greet Ivan if he came back this way without Vasilisa. Ivan leapt from the table, running from the hut as fast as he could, with Baba Yaga cackling behind him. Days later, Ivan looked on Koshe's house from the safety of the forest. He could see shadows moving inside the house, but he had no idea how he was going to cover that much ground and get a heavy chest out of the tree. What are we looking at? He heard to his right. He jumped when he heard the whisper, and again when he saw what made the sound. It was a giant bear, laying on its bare stomach, looking at the chest in the tree. What are you doing? Who are you? Well, I'm a bear, the bear said. Yes, that much is evident, but why are you laying next to me? Oh, that's easy. A while back, you saved my buddy's life, or chose not to kill him. I guess it's kind of a low bar, but literally all bear kind is indebted to you until that favor is repaid. You're scoping out Koshe's place, so you definitely looked like you could use some help. You know Koshe the Deathless, Ivan said? Yeah, the bear said. We all do. The guy rides his horse around naked every morning while shrieking. Not only do I not like being woken up at 4.30 in the morning, but seeing a nude old man bouncing up and down on a horse is not the way you want to start your day. Anyway, how can we, the bear community, settle our debt to you? Ivan looked at the house. It was worth a shot. Well, Ivan said, see that chest in the tree? It contains Koshe's soul. The only way to kill him. But I can't get it. Psh. You mean not only do we settle things with you, but we get to kill Koshe? Consider it done, the bear said, and began lumbering over to the tree. While Ivan watched the bear cross the field, another animal took his place. It was a rabbit. You know I never really hang out with bears, the rabbit said. They're super scary and eat us, but as we've been tagging along behind you, I got to know him. I think we're all going to hang out when this is over. Okay, cool, Ivan said. And you are? Oh, sorry, I'm a rabbit, 
it's the same deal as the bear. You didn't kill one of my friends, so all of rabbit kind is indebted to you. Same as with the drake flying above us. Ivan looked up. There was, indeed, a small dragon flying in the air above them. And how long has that been there? Ivan asked. Oh, well, we've been following you pretty closely for like a month, the rabbit said. I'm going to be honest with you. You're not great at this questing thing. Anyway, it looks like the bear's about done with that tree. The bear had been surprisingly quiet bringing down the tree, and as it creaked and snapped, the chest fell from the branches. It crashed to the ground and toppled down the hill. With a wave goodbye, the bear darted off into the forest. Ivan was about to go open the remainder of the chest when a rabbit burst forth from it. I got this, Ivan's rabbit friend said, and took off after the rabbit. Ivan began to worry until, ten minutes later, a blood-covered duck flew from the trees. The dragon, fulfilling its debt, caught the duck and killed it, dropping it to the ground. Ivan cut it open and retrieved the egg as the rabbit was coming out of the forest. And the story doesn't address the moral implications for the rabbit, having just killed one of its own. But it gave Ivan the egg, and then left to, presumably, think long and hard about its life choices. Holding the egg, Ivan was unsure of what to do next. The choice was made for him, as lanterns fired to life inside Koshe's house. The deathless one knew his soul had been stolen. Koshe flung open the door of his humble house, and his eyes darted to the tree, which had been torn from the ground. Koshe assumed the worst. His assumptions confirmed as Ivan stood in the field, holding the egg. Koshe began to tremble, but his hand went to his sword. Ivan held up the egg to show Koshe that he meant business, and was surprised to see the withered, deathless sorcerer rise from the air. In coordination with the egg, Ivan looked at the egg and shook it back and forth. Koshe moved helplessly in the air, in a corresponding way. Ivan had the egg and, thus, had complete control over Koshe. That was a freebie. For the next couple of minutes, Ivan slammed Koshe on the ground repeatedly. He whipped the deathless sorcerer through the surrounding forest, slammed his head half a dozen times against his own house, and then had an idea. Hey Vasilisa, Ivan yelled. Come on out. I have something to show you. Vasilisa emerged from the house and saw her captor suspended high in the air by her estranged husband. She was confused, but happy, and ran to Ivan. They half embraced, Ivan still holding Koshe in the air with the egg. Ivan said he was here to rescue her. But first, watch this. Ivan not so delicately moved the egg so that Koshe was back inside his own house. Then, with Koshe floating within the modest constraints of his house, Ivan shook the egg for like five minutes straight. Inside, Koshe crashed against walls and ceilings and windows and chairs and stone fireplace, everything, for minutes straight. Outside, Ivan laughed. Ha! Ivan said, Hey, Vasilisa, scrambled eggs. Get it? That's very funny, Ivan, Vasilisa said. Not to take away your fun, but I've been this guy's captive for months and would like to never see this house again in my life. So can we just wrap this up and get out of here? Oh yeah, sure thing, Ivan said. Oh, well, it looks like you won't have to worry about seeing this house again. The pair looked, and the house was now on fire, Koshay having knocked over a lantern in the chaos. Ivan threw the egg on the ground and shattered it. Ivan heard a horrible scream from inside the burning house, and he stomped on the broken egg bits for good measure. He turned to Vasilisa. All right, now they could go. The burning house illuminated the field behind them as they both climbed onto Ivan's horse and rode away, never to see that land again. Vasilisa had always liked Ivan. 
She thought his exasperation over the fact that he had married a frog was cute, and she had seen him when he thought she was just a frog, and she knew he was a good man. Ivan was awestruck that the wife he thought was just a frog was such a smart, funny, and all-around amazing woman. They talked the whole way back. When they made it home, they figured they were already married. Might as well keep that going. Because of Ivan's bravery, and of how great Vasilisa was, Ivan was made the heir, even though he was the youngest. And one day, he and Vasilisa would be king and queen. If Ivan's brothers had a problem with it, well, Vasilisa was also a sorceress, who had trained under Baba Yaga herself, so they could just deal with it. Sometime during their journey home, something stirred amidst the smoking remains of Koshe's hut. In the ashes, under the charred wood, a bony, burned hand rose. Over the next several hours, Koshe struggled from the remains of his house into the field where Ivan had been standing. His body pulsed with pain as he rooted through the grass until, just as darkness was about to fall, he found it. Luckily, his eyes had just grown back and they were better than ever. He found the needle. Koshe, careful not to touch it, cast a spell, encasing it inside an egg once again. He collapsed onto his side, clutching the egg in the fetal position. As long as that needle remained in one piece, inside the egg, and it didn't touch him, Koshe would survive. He looked at his house, the one he had owned since before the war, before they did this to him. He would need to find another home, something a little bit more secure, maybe a castle. He rolled onto his back in the grass and rested. He would just need to wait for a leg, a foot, and most of his skin to grow back. I'm considering the story a little prologue to the Koshe we met back in episodes 5a and 5b. In truth, the character Koshe the Deathless dies in literally every story where he makes an appearance. Him hiding his soul is the quote-unquote canon version, but there are times when he's just killed with clubs and swords. So in the real version of the story, he does actually die, but I wanted to keep things moderately consistent between his appearances on this podcast, so I kept him alive to die later. Oh yeah, and the evil wizard father that cursed Vasilisa does not make an appearance in the story in any version, and there's no detail on the specific consequences of burning the frog skin, other than it apparently messing with the curse. Many versions of the story actually leave out Koshe too, and have Ivan going to several different Baba Yagas, and at each one, Vasilis is in a different form, where he needed to catch her and hold on to her, until she changed back. Eventually she does, and they go back home together. Despite his appearance in only one version, this Koshe one is the most popular version of the story, and, well, we get to see our sad, old, princess kidnapping buddy again. And real quickly, if you haven't heard the other Koshe stories, Koshe has the typical curse of eternal life, but not eternal youth. And while he's a bad guy, kidnapping people is bad, don't do it. That's basically all he does to the princesses. He just likes to have company because he's extremely lonely. And he nearly always gets pummeled by the hero. I've said it before and I'll say it again. He's basically the Ice King from Adventure Time. Anyway, that's it for this week. Next week is an off week for me. That's right. For the first time in nearly a year, there won't be a show next week. It's weird for me too. In two weeks, though... I'm not sure what we'll be talking about, but I haven't narrowed down to two topics. Either we'll be talking about the American folk hero slash advertising creation Paul Bunyan or Oedipus. And yeah, those two characters could not be more different. 
I want to say thanks to Aaron MP80, R. Clark447, True Crime Addict, Jackie Blue, Jarm0909, Grunt2K, Diffs, Wambulance Dispatch, Alfred Grad, Bally176644, Seabus User, Sopaforks Thoth, Arsenal4, Happy Camper Jack, and Crunkopolis for the reviews on iTunes. Thank you so much for taking the time to write a review. I really appreciate it. It's awesome to hear from you, and I do read every one of them. If you'd like to leave a review, it does help out the show. And you can find the show on iTunes at itunes.mythpodcast.com. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of six live cockroaches, three male, three female, you can help support the show and get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that will not take over your house if improperly stored. You can find more information on the membership at support.mythpodcast.com. The creature this week is the koa from the folklore of the Quechua tribes in the highlands of Peru. It's a long, flying, gray and black striped cat that likes to climb rainbows. And while you might just break the internet by uploading a YouTube video of a long kitty cat doing the warm up a rainbow, you're gonna wanna get out of there pretty quickly because the koa does have other hobbies. As is objectively terrible for living humans, the koa is quick to anger. It shoots lightning out of its eyes sprays hail from its ears, and roars thunder. So, yes, it's about as close to a thundercat as we're gonna get for the show. Unlike Lion-O and Friends, though, Koa's destruction isn't limited to 80s cartoon bad guys, and it will destroy anything in its path. But it's known for tearing up fields, burning crops, and zapping any humans it sees. There are ways to avoid the Koa and sate its cruelty. If you're gonna go shopping over the weekend, the long-flying cat monster accepts donations of incense and llama fat. After you get rid of that sack of llama fat you were carrying through the Peruvian highlands, you'll find yourself in yet another undesirable situation. If you give it that sack of llama fat, it will help you out by raining on you. The issue? Well, even its way of helping is pretty cruel because rain is apparently the koa's urine. So yeah, the next time you're caught in a rainstorm, that's apparently a magical Peruvian sky cat's way of doing you a favor, but still kind of being a jerk about it. All right, that's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes, and if you'd like to say hi, I'm on Twitter and Facebook at MythPodcast. I'm Jason Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.